Brought to you by Feitner Productions. From the Unreasonable Doubt Studios, in association with Feitner Productions, this is Laying Down the Law! With your host, Billy DeClerc, and co-hosts, Kristen Drenning and Curtis Rutherford. Featuring a jury of genius jokesmiths and paneled with the help of Publishers Clearinghouse, auditors from the firm of DCH Lottery Management, and selected by random draw from a hermetically sealed mayonnaise jar every Tuesday and Thursday at half past never. Only a madman would bring these people together to construct an entire virtual world of law and order simply to tear it asunder with ruckus laughter. That madman is attorney Billy DeClerc. The result is a podcast blasted to the farthest reaches of the interwebs. That podcast is this one, and it starts right now. Welcome to Laying Down the Law, a comedy podcast hosted by me, the truffle pig of legal invoice collection, Billy DeClerc, known on social media by pretty much no one as the comedy lawyer. I'm co-host Kristen Drenning, improviser, storyteller, actual lawyer, and improv teacher in Austin, Texas, the good part, who is killing it on Instagram, according to Billy, who never posts anything as the comedy lawyer because he's, quote, old and doesn't know how that works. That's a quote. (laughs) Yep. um, Thank you for for quoting me. I I am old and I don't know how that works. Um, Co-host Curtis Rutherford has taken a pass this week because he just got married and, quote, has friends in town end quote. I don't know what that's exactly about, but um, yeah, so he'll be back soon. <laughs> Our returning guests today are award-winning voice over actress, lead singer of vampire cover band Give Blood, improviser and comedian, a member of the comedy team You're On Mute, Ms. Tony Senator. Hi, thanks for having hey, me Tom. back. <laughs> yeah. How are things going? I haven't, I haven't been kicked out yet, have I? My attendance is way down. No, we miss you. Of we can't. You're on mute doesn't exist without Billy DeClerc. So. Well, it apparently is doing really well without me. You got main stage at the Hollywood Fringe Festival, which will be in the past by the time we release this. Uh, yes, I guess. unfortunately. So you're on mute. Amazing performance at the Hollywood Fringe Festival. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, and guess what? Hmm? Someone wants to review us. That's awesome. <laughs> So the, the review will be out, available in all the trades now. That's awesome. <laughs> or maybe just in the Larchmont buzz. Yeah, like we finally got rid of the deadweight <laughs> clerk. <laughs> and our second guest today is my friend, uh, an actual former member of a jury, comic, writer, and Bakersfield refugee, Ms. Kelly Johnson. <laughs> Yay! Thanks for having me back. Welcome back, Kelly. Now, Kelly, have you, um, have you been on with Tony before or have you met before? No, first time. Oh, first time. Okay, well, that's great. You guys are going to have a lot of fun together today. But first, uh, I'm just noticing the Wikipedia article for each of you has apparently omitted something. Kelly, your Wikipedia article includes, for whatever reason, the 2006 South Korean railroad strike. How does oh, God. To your <laughs> bio? I just click Wikipedia Man. and it took me there. Man, I mean, you think you've moved on from something and then your past is just always sneaking back up on you. Well, you know, uh, as it turns out, 2006, uh, fresh, I was a freshman in high school. From March 1st through March 4th, the union called a halt to the strike because the workers went back to work voluntarily. But ultimately, it was over 1,600 railway workers at its peak. Now, what did that have to do with you, Kelly? I'm just curious. (laughs) You spent a little time in Korea in high school, and then you come back a new person. So I'll just say what happens over there stays over there. Um, but shout out to all my friends. <laughs> we had a good run. They definitely stay if they were on any of those railroads that were impacted by the strike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Tony, apparently, uh, my co-host Kristen, omitted something also oh. from your oh um wikipedia bio uh, i didn't even know i had a wikipedia bio mm-hmm. yeah well you know in no way are we using the random wikipedia page function in order to generate these non-credits. <laughs> that's not what we're doing at all um and um oh i'm not gonna have you do that one that's just too, too yeah. <laughs> sorry that one was um a hill oh actually okay 
I'm just going to tell you what it is, uh, Tony. Yeah. The Garrelet Dodd, a hill in the Moffat Hills Range, part of the southern uplands of Scotland. Uh-huh. It is a broad, flat summit like its neighbor Cape Law and commonly ascended from the Talalin foots to the north and the way higher summits to the southwest and southeast, usually as part of a round. How does Garrelet Dodd exactly fit into your uh, biography there, Tony? Uh, well... You know, when I was in college, I worked at The Gap. Yep. And one of my managers was Scottish. I see. And, um, you know, we became friends. We're still in touch to this day. And that's probably why that that came up, because my love for Scotland. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and it's it's well known and well documented. The, mm-hmm. uh, the senators of the Highlands. <laughs> yes. Yes, some Italians actually did uh, immigrate to Scotland just oh. for fun. That's true. You know, they were, you know, they just were in need of some green, rainy weather. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too good at geography, but I do believe that Scotland is on the way from it's Italy like- to the U.S. If you're coming, you know, to Ellis Island, it's just Scotland's kind of like a just a just a hop skip. Is that right, Jeff? That's how you go if you're going on your boat. Isn't Take your it above boat. Italy? I feel like that might be a bit of a pit stop. Uh, <laughs> it's out of the way. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know. But, but you know, it, yeah. it didn't matter if it was off course. We were drawn. Yeah. Drawn uh-huh. to Scotland. Insert rant by Jeff about geography here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we just really angered Scotland and maybe Italy. (laughs) And just oceans in general. I'm pretty sure Scotland is above Italy. Yeah. To the north, I believe. Yeah, Scotland's north. Switzerland is right above Italy. And then the rest of Europe is up there. Although Scotland's... No, uh, Scotland's definitely north. Scotland is almost like... There's parts of Scotland that are, are like fairy distance to Norway. So... I think I saw a thing one time about how Washington D.C. and Rome are like in the same the, the same plane or something where you would never know something oh, like that. Interesting. Ask Ask Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> and longitude. Hang down the law. The Please geography version. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just add geography to the list of things that I've offended <laughs> in the course of this podcast. The globe yeah. itself. Yeah, add that to my list too. <laughs> planet earth um, wait the earth is round apparently apparently no, don't, so. that is wait not a minute. no i've heard <laughs> a guy i went to high school with told me that yeah. i don't believe what you see <laughs> was that in Korea? nasa's hiding stuff from us guys <laughs> yeah i mean they, that nasa they've got an explanation for everything yeah why can't they just admit the truth birds are spies and the earth is flat yeah, if you want the truth, you True. know, Bakersfield High School alum, alumni, they have it. <laughs> uh, according to Wikipedia, Scotland is at the same latitude as the whole of the Alaska Panhandle. So pretty far right. north. Pretty north. Wow. Yeah. Wait, yeah. and then that you can see Russia from there, right? From your bedroom. From your house. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Yep. That's right. I okay. can see it from my booth. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, hard pivot before we talk about the case of the week. I have a 2007 story in the Washington Post uh, regarding a lawyer behaving badly. An attorney who will be referred to as attorney for reasons relating to my potential liability as the host of this podcast. And a dry cleaner that will be known as cleaner for reasons related to my liability as host of this podcast have been in a multi-year battle over a pair of pants a.k.a. the pants. In 2002, the attorney asked cleaners to clean his pants. The cleaner lost the pants, later admitting his error and compensating attorney with a check for $150. These were apparently some very high-quality pants. But this being a dispute with an attorney didn't end there. The cleaners also told the attorney he was no longer welcome at the dry cleaner. However, another pants issue arose in 2005. Apparently, the attorney had a new job that required him to wear pants every day. That is five times a week. For those of you still observing the five-day work week, 
And he reported that the pants became back from the cleaner that, quote, uncomfortably tight. These pants were returned May 3rd, 2007. It's not clear whether these are the first pair of pants or the second pair of pants. We'll call them the second pair of pants. So he asked the cleaners to let out the waist of his second pair of pants two or three inches so he could wear them on May 6th. However, they were not ready the next day and the cleaner reported the pants were nowhere to be found. One week later, the cleaners found another pair of pants that it believed to be the second pair of pants, but the attorney said that the second pants had pinstripes, whereas these were gray. The attorney became even more angry and pointed to signs in the cleaners that said satisfaction guaranteed and same day service, claiming that the sign was fraudulent. For two years, the dispute continued and the settlement demands have continued to escalate, including the attorney's attorney's fees. Apparently, the attorney demanded $1,150 for a new suit. The cleaners did not agree. So the attorney added his legal fees to the amount and demanded even more money. Eventually, the cleaners offered $3,000, then $4,600, and eventually $12,000. But that wasn't enough for the attorney. The attorney now seeks damages, including costs of the lawsuit, the time he spent on the litigation, as well as the value of mental suffering, inconvenience, and discomfort, as well as the cost for leasing a car every weekend for the last 10 years. The attorney is also suing under the District of Columbia's Consumer Protection Act, claiming that damages under that loss provision imposes damages of $1,500 per violation, claiming 12 violations per defendant, three members of the family that run the cleaners per day, 1,200. So the claim of damages is 65,406, no, sorry, 65,462,500. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. The, the attorney tried to turn this into a class action on behalf of all <laughs> residents claiming that the judge threw this out, claiming that the breathtaking magnitude of the expansion of the pants lawsuit raises significant concerns that the plaintiff is acting in bad faith. Yeah. <laughs> uh... You think? <laughs> he's a lawyer he doesn't need 65 million dollars right mm. he's a he's a justice warrior is what he is They're trying to help all of us who've been impacted here's the zinger folks the first set of pants apparently was found in the attorney's closet no oh. the process of discovery the lawyer for the cleaners found that the attorney has a perfectly good pair of gray wool pants hanging in his closet, bearing a tag that matches the attorney's receipt. <gasps> pants oh. are his. Oh, mm -hmm. how dare he? How dare he? I mean, at a certain point, wait, that is who found Who found the pants? Who found the, the... cleaner found the pants? In the process <gasps> of discovery, which means they sent him over to literally comb the other guy's closets. And the the pants the pants guy wasn't doing I mean, if he's trying to, you know, scam out sixty-five million dollars, he didn't burn those pants. I mean, <laughs> he didn't I think mean, to get yeah. rid of the evidence. What kind of attorney is he? I know, clearly he's a fat really one, not... apparently, because he needed to get his pants let out. <laughs> I choose to believe that they were legitimately lost, which tells me that he's got a depth of pants field that is is much greater than we had like, assumed. Well, so I would the assume cleaners have, you know, insurance and stuff to pay for mm -hmm. lost. So I don't And why was he, what was the leasing the vehicle thing? Yeah, was I, that I, to, no explanation. So that what, how does that? No I guess because <laughs> that, he's got no pants. They match the uh, pants. Like everything has to coordinate. I don't. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was Lawyers, assuming he had to get huh? driving home to get more pants. Yeah, I'm not really it sure. Makes me think of Perry Mason. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, are these your pants? <gasps> a hush falls over the courtroom. Gray wool. Do you have a pair of gray wool pants? Please do not anymore. What happened to them? They were ruined and lost by your client, the cleaners. Really, sir, then how do you explain these facts? <laughs> well, now you're making me think of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this episode is about attorney's fees. 
week involves a less comical but equally interesting claim involving expansion of attorney's fees beyond the amount of damages involved. This is a case from the United States Supreme Court from 1986, City of Riverside versus Rivera. The case started in 1975. In 1975, eight, this is from the opinion of the court, Chicano individuals. I don't think that's the term we use anymore. I believe it would be Latin or Latinx. I'm not sure Chicano is still cool. But that's what's in the opinion of the court. They were attending a party that was broken up by the Riverside police using tear gas and physical force without a warrant. Not cool, right? Not at all Not cool. cool. Not at all cool. So these eight um, eight individuals filed lawsuit in the federal district court against the city of Riverside and the police officers um, alleging civil rights violations, as well as violations of their First Amendment, right of assembly, uh, Fourth Amendment protection against unlawful search and seizures, and Fourth Amendment right of due process under the law. The jury found in favor of the individuals and granted $33,350 in compensatory and punitive damages, $33,350. Following that, they sought their attorney's fees under the Civil Rights Attorney's Fees Award Act of 1976. For those of you who aren't familiar, the way an attorney's fees petition works is usually after there's a judgment on the case itself, then you bring a post-judgment motion for attorney's fees. So it's never considered by the jury. It's almost never considered by the jury. That's typically after the trial. So the jury didn't consider the attorney's fees at all. This is the judge making a ruling. So the judge granted the attorneys that represented these eight individuals their attorney's fees in the amount of $245,456.25 based upon 1,946 hours, sorry, 1,946 and three quarters hours expended by two attorneys at a rate of $125 per hour and 84 and a half hours by law clerks at $25 per hour. It's a lot of pants. There's a lot of pants. <laughs> those, those rates are low. Yeah, yeah, really by low. today's standards, for yeah. sure. Yeah, so $125 starting in the year the lawsuit was filed, 1976, would be about $666.44. Okay. okay. For those of us uh, who wouldn't know, is that like what attorneys do charge now? 600 something dollars yeah. like reasonable or... Well, depends on the on the lawyer. Like how sure. good you are, or where you yeah. live, or what kind of law, or more. As much as you can get away with. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Same. Yeah. Same. 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 Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> typical rates. Yeah. Typical rates right now in 2023, um, for the biggest law firm attorneys, top, they're over a thousand dollars an hour. Yeah. Um, nice. Typical rates are a couple hundred bucks an hour, um, and it can range based on the level of experience and uh, the size of the firm, um, where you went to law school and swagger. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's expensive to, uh, you know, sue. Oh yeah. Unbelievably <laughs> expensive. And if it's involving pants, it, they rack up really fast. Who knew? These, these aren't your Tommy Bahamas. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, that's one thing that the pandemic really helped out um, the world with is the uh, the pants-related litigation. Yeah. just took a <laughs> nosedive. Boy, I almost had to go to small claims court. Mm -hmm. I almost had to go to virtual small claims court during lockdown. You don't get a lawyer for that, though. Wait, You're on. your own lawyer. LA, are you saying you were a litigant in virtual small claims court in lockdown? Oh, almost. And then somehow the judge or someone got it wiped away and I didn't have to go. Right, we are completely <laughs> stopping the analysis of this case. We need to hear <laughs> all of the details about this. This yeah. is what we got to hear about. No, it's so small. I got in a car accident in oh. 2018. Tiny. Minuscule. I mean, my car was totaled, but okay. <laughs> the other person was fine. Actually, there were two other people. Anyways, everyone was fine. But one guy that was involved who was fine and didn't get any money for anything because nothing happened to his car. He waited until basically lockdown happened. It's almost like he knew. <laughs> and then <laughs> you know, and I got, I got served. 
Huh? Well, just think like it's locked down. You're not seeing people. All of a sudden, a person shows up to your house and they're like, are you Kelly Johnson? You've been served. <laughs> and I was like, wow. And it turns out he waited a couple years to try to small claims court me or whatever for, you know, I, I don't even know. Same thing as the pants guy, like emotional distress and like uh, sadness. And he said he couldn't work, which isn't true because I where the accident happened was both by both of our places of employment and I saw him working. Uh, so I was like secretly doing my own intel, like, wait a minute. <laughs> anyway, uh, but then because the pandemic happened, courts aren't open, blah, 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 things don't happen. So it wasn't until a year later, I get all this information like, you need to go to small claims court. They're suing you for $12,000 or however much you can do. You have to attend a yeah. Zoom. You need to like compile all this evidence. <laughs> um, so that that morning I was like trying to log on to the court Zoom and it wasn't working. Obviously, it never works. Uh, I'm like sweating. And then I get like a notification that the the judge or whomever was like, no, this isn't anything. Goodbye. <laughs> so Wait, I never had to do it. Why didn't your insurance kick in and help you with that? So the insurance would, yes. So the insurance would have paid for it if anything had happened. And my insurance did help me like compile everything. But in terms okay. of the actual small claims court, I had, I would have to be the one to attend. But uh, the woman who helped me shout out to Geico, she actually was very helpful. Um, but then they raised my rates a whole bunch. So then I left them, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, they, but they were great. And now my rates are good again, but for a second, it got dicey. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, uh, gecko has got some deep pockets. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you guys can handle this I'm anyway. So gecko. well, <laughs> you know, if you get an accident, I mean, it was, it was helpful. They did, you know, and they did tell me like this guy, you know, this is nothing. Well, you'd think the pants guy had nothing though, too. So I, you just never know. Oh, she doesn't love Geico. She loves the gecko. Oh, my oh, oh, oh. My mom loves well, the gecko. He's pretty likable. <laughs> if that gecko were to walk away from Geico today, she would still love that gecko. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Regardless of Geico, she loves the gecko. <laughs> Wait, I thought you were I thought you said you had auditioned to be the gecko. No, no. No. Oh wow. Oh wow. No. No. Oh, I, I, think we need to I can't do that, that accent. <laughs> Does Gecko talk? I don't know if the Gecko yeah, talks. The Gecko yeah. definitely talks. Oh he has like a British accent. I think he's Australian. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, it's yeah. Uh, it's really no. pleasant. Yeah. He's, so, he's so cute when he talks. How do you not know he talks? I oh. don't know. I'm. I put in a little sound mm -hmm. cue here of the Gecko. For over seventy-five years, people have saved money with Gecko. So Cut it. Actually, uh, Tony, let's hear let's hear your version of the no. guy. This is, your this is your big chance, Tony. Award-winning voiceover actress, Tony Senator, auditioning for Gecko, Gecko, Gecko. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I I don't do Australian. Oh, okay. But maybe my Gecko, he could be from New York. You know, like, yeah. I could just be yeah. like, hey, okay, get some Gecko for your car, okay? And don't forget my coffee. Maybe I love it. <laughs> I would trust that guy with my yeah. claims. Seriously. It's a good, it's a good old fashioned American. Hands off. Yeah. Hands <laughs> off my suit. Okay. And don't touch my pants. This episode not <laughs> sponsored by Geico. <laughs> <laughs> An insurance company that shall remain nameless. Yeah. Unless Geico her? wants to sponsor. Yeah. Um, I'll send them a letter. See ya. <laughs> Tell them to check out my audition. I know, right? All right. So the um, so back to the um, city of Riverside versus Rivera. So the reason it's reversed, just so you understand, is that the city of Riverside is the one that appealed to the United States Supreme Court. So this attorney's fee award of $245,456.25 based upon almost 2,000 hours by these uh, two attorneys and 85, 84 and a half hours by their law clerks was upheld by the appellate courts. And I always like to explain the procedural history. How do you get to the Supreme Court, Kristen? Well, you can get a writ of cert, which I can't say the full word, uh, cert sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, granted, if you have a case that is involves either a federal statute, constitutional rights, or involves the clash of between two states. Right. So the process here, the the so this is starting in the federal district court because we're alleging violations of federal law, federal civil rights. Yeah and the US Constitution. So that starts in the federal courts, then it's called the district court or California. 
you appeal to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal, which is the Court of Appeal that covers the West Coast of the United States. And then in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal, the attorney's fee award was upheld. The argument on the part of the city of Riverside was that it was excessive given that there were only $33,500 in damages awarded, but then $245,456.25. Side note, you can get attorney's fees on $1 of damages. In many situations that that can happen a very, and and this is a, a, a not unusual occurrence, un, not unlike the pants dispute that starts out with a pair of pants and just keeps adding up with attorney's fees. The where attorney's fees are available, the the fees can exceed the amount of the actual judgment. So if you have a uh, a contract, for example, let me just back up and explain the American rule. Mm. The American rule is that each party bears their own attorney's fees with a bunch of exceptions. So if you imagine a big circle in your mind, a little Venn diagram, this big circle is American rule, which is everybody pays their own attorney's fees. And then inside of that, another pretty big circle, which is a whole bunch of exceptions. Those exceptions basically follow into two categories. Category one is where you have a contract that allows for attorney fee shifting to the prevailing party. So um, most, if you are a tenant, most landlord-tenant agreements have attorney fee shifting. And so that means that the prevailing party in, in, the, in a lease dispute, um, whether it's an eviction or a, a habitability claim, you got cockroaches or you got the, the rats running around and you sue your landlord for that, there's usually an attorney's fees provision, which means that you can, if you win, even if it's a small amount of money, you can get your attorney's fees. So a lot of times the, the attorney's fees end up being the tail wagging the dog. The other exception to the American rule that is um, applicable is that a statute. So, so whether it's a state legislature or Congress can enact a law that says in these kind of cases, we think that the prevailing party should get their attorney's fees. So I do a lot of employment litigation. I tend to typically represent employers, although not always. And the attorney's fees is a significant driver of litigation because the claim might be relatively small. If you don't get, you know, if you, you're paid, you know, you're underpaid or something, or you don't get your meal and rest breaks, it might not be a lot of money for you individually. And the expense of a lawyer is hundreds of dollars an hour. So most people can't afford that. So the legislature says, well, we think in this kind of case, people are not likely to sue. And so we think that they should get their attorney's fees. Um, and so there's a, a number of statutes where the legislature makes that policy choice. The other side of that policy choice is that it obviously drives up the amount of litigation. Have I put anyone to sleep? No, no. Not yet? Yeah. Well, let me I'm talk more about the American rule and see if I can... legal representation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear more of Kelly's small claim story. <laughs> what kind of car was it? My car, it? his car. Your car. The one I totaled, it was a Mini Cooper. Oh. oh. It doesn't take much to total it, though. They, when I got my accident, they said they're pretty much designed to to total. <laughs> much like the Pinto. Oh, sorry. You were on the Pinboard Pinto episode, right? <laughs> yes. Was I? Right, Kelly? I don't think so. Oh, you oh, worked on the episode about the Ford Pinto. Well, yeah. I know because you're a regular listener. You'll catch it when it <laughs> But the Ford Pinto was designed to explode. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. We that. Just like, just like a Pinto bean. Yeah. <laughs> put it in the microwave. <laughs> Not funny if you're driving one, but... Um, Not funny. No. Okay, so back to the back to the case of the week. Sorry. Yeah. So that the Ninth Circuit upheld the the attorney fee award, said it was not excessive. So the city of Riverside, unwilling to pay, appealed to the United States Supreme Court. And the question that was presented by the case was whether an attorney's fees award would be unreasonable if it's greater than the amount of damages. The city argued that it was. But like you said, that must happen all the time where the the lawyers get more than the plaintiff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Typically, do the plaintiffs have to pay those fees, though? Or is that something that the 
Like if I was, you didn't know. you just listen to the American rule? <laughs> no, he, yeah, is that what so, that meant? I don't understand anything. Well, <laughs> this particular case was dealing with whether that was in light of the intention of the legislature when they created this statute that covered the mm. for the payment of these. Yeah. yeah, so it wasn't about the rule in general so much as they were talking about with the, in the terms of this statute. Is this unreasonable? Yes. Yeah. So it's a contingency fee. Okay. So that's the, that's the important thing to understand is that, you know, when you see a billboard by the side of the road that says you don't pay unless we win, that's contingency fee arrangement. So, yes. um, so that, you know, in this case, you know, the, the, the eight, um, but if you win and you have to pay, you could be paying more than you win. That's what we're saying here. Yeah. So the idea being that when a lawyer <laughs> takes a case on a contingency, they're basically betting on the case and they're saying, you, we think you have a good case. We're going to work up the case. And when we win or settle the case, we'll get paid out of that. And typically in an injury type of situation, it's a percentage of what you are, what you're awarded. So if Larry H. Parker gets you $5 million, well, Larry H. Parker is keeping about $2 million of those $5 million. Um, so you're actually getting $3 million. I wonder if the guy who tried a small claims court me, if he went to a billboard lawyer guy, because there was a lawyer. I saw Could his be. name on the letters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Larry Could H. Be. Parker. So I wonder if he had to pay attorney's fees and he didn't even end up getting anything. Well, if he got nothing, then his attorney massively wasted time because they got nothing. So usually, <laughs> what, usually what happens as part of that agreement is that the attorney is going to get zero if the client gets zero. So the main thing... I don't do contingency cases mostly because I don't pick them very well because I have a big <laughs> open heart and I want to take every sob story case. Wait a minute, Billy. I got something for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, right, yeah. you get these calls I'm like, can I file a lawsuit? Like fill in the blanks, long thing that's not going to result in money. It's kind of like deciding to do an audio book for profit share. There's oh, have you done that? 50-50 chance you'll make nothing. <laughs> is it if the audiobook doesn't do well but yeah, if that person's the next el james or whatever yeah ooh. i mean you could do ooh. really well i mean if it's a sexy book <laughs> <laughs> that's where i went wrong <laughs> so tony are you saying that if people are looking for um for someone to read an audiobook for a 50 50 split it better be a sexy book <laughs> <laughs> no better make some money that's what I'm oh. saying. <laughs> yeah. No contingency voice voiceover work. Is that that's what we're saying? <laughs> so, I did get approached once to do a sexy book, but I turned it oh, down. Do you have to play all the characters? That, just like that, like, I don't know. With that one, I don't know because I said no. But no. sometimes they'll get a, a male and a female and then do it that way. But some and other books I've done, I did do all the characters so Hot. depends you know i went to the last voiceover conference and i was just passing out cards offering to do a sexy book <laughs> no takers no takers. nobody what was time? interested they're like no 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 that's not gonna work one time for my book club we read a sexy book and one of my friends did listen to the audio version and they were all scottish just to bring it back. oh <laughs> that's see? where the connection is so, oh, but it was like kind of it, it was like these yeah. weird like scottish like mobster type guys there was like four guys and one girl and eventually not to spoil it for you guys but they all get married oh, <laughs> okay that, i that thought that it, was that doesn't sound to very make sexy. It wholesome well <laughs> You should have seen what happened before they all decided to marry each other. There was some weird. I had to stop reading. It was like six hundred pages. I had to. I had to stop reading it. I was gonna put it in my free little library in my neighborhood, but there are children here, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do with this book now. I'll give you my address after this. Send it to Billy so he can practice yeah. recording. Yes. Maybe do it in what the you been doing? Where have you been touching me? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's really good. <laughs> I'm just thinking uh, about Conan O'Brien doing ground groundskeeper <laughs> Willie. Oh uh, yeah. Where have you been? What have you been doing? <laughs> Get out of my life. Wait, I feel like you're really good at that. <laughs> I've done a lot of practice. You sound like every character in How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> That's where I study my Scottish accent. No. 
Well, you just got to say bluterin and drunk and have been in the gutter for three days. So you have to put your mouth to the side like that. That's what you got to do. It. You got to do it out like under the side of the mood. <laughs> wow. It's so funny because usually if you ask me to do it, I can't do it. It usually like turns into something else. <laughs> I think it is now. <laughs> Wait, you've done it in sketches before. I did. We did that great proclaimer sketch. Yeah. Sketch before I got kicked out of You're On Mute. You were not kicked <laughs> out. <laughs> we the real question you. is, have you done it in court? Oh, that's oh. a good idea. Your Honor, I object strenuously. <laughs> Uh, and back to the case, honey. Yeah. That's the longest I've so, ever made any accent ever. I'm clearly avoiding this case. Um, okay. And we're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. So tune in next week. Okay. Let me get back to it. So a little bit more about the facts. The party was broken up. They used tear gas and unnecessary physical force. Many of the people at the party were arrested. Um, the party was found to have not been creating any kind of disturbance, and the criminal charges were all dismissed for lack of probable cause. So shortly thereafter, the um, the respondents, those are the individuals from the party, sued the city of Riverside, chief of police, and 30 police officers for violating their first their constitutional rights. And they also alleged state law claims, sought money damages. 17 of the police officers were dismissed from the case on a motion for summary judgment. There were 37 individual verdicts in favor of the respondents and against the cities and five individual officers finding 11 violations of the civil rights law. That's section 1983. Four cases of false arrest and imprisonment and 22 instances of negligence. Nevertheless, only $33,350, $13,300 for the federal claims, $20,000 for uh, their state law claims. Only the attorney's fees award was appealed. The U.S. Supreme Court goes into talking about the different factors for determining what a reasonable attorney's fee is under the law. And there are 12 factors, and I'm not going to bore you with them, but they essentially involve the amount of time spent and a reasonable hourly rate. And the way you determine the reasonable hourly rate is apparently swagger. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the <laughs> Supreme Court said. It's mostly swagger. They use the word swagger. They do just right here. It just says it just says <laughs> these guys had a lot of swagger. Decades ahead of their time, but I had decades. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bunch of stuff about whether it's difficult, uh, whether there's novelty involved, the level of experience, um, the type of fee, whether it's um, fixed or a contingency fee, um, the reputation and ability of the lawyers, i.e., swagger, <laughs> whether the case is desirable or undesirable. Um, and what awards have been in similar cases are some of the 12 factors. What would make a case undesirable or uh, desirable? Well, it'd be like the kind of case that I have trouble turning away. Like, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> like my neighbor insulted my cat's feelings. And so <laughs> I'm super damages. And I'm like, Bleh. is that a desirable? It's that would be an undesirable uh, case. Okay. It's not a huge damages award. <laughs> Whereas like, you know, a, you know, debilitating motorcycle accident would be highly desirable for a contingency fee because big damages. So those are the ones that they're all, all the people advertising are trying to get. So this is called the load star. Those of you taking notes, write that down. Load star, L-O-D-E-S-T-A-R. Mm -hmm. The load star being like the North star is the guiding light for attorney's fee awards. And that's the term that's generally used is what is the load star? The load star is how many hours did you spend and what's the hourly rate? So in this case, it was $125 an hour, which was pretty high in the 70s. Um, in even in today's terms, that was a relatively high hourly rate um, for the attorneys and $25 an hour for the assistants, which is also a reasonably high rate. And then the load star is adjusted up or down it can be, um, you know, adjusted in, in a multiplier or as a fraction. So the court can say um, it depends on the results obtained. And so if the attorneys are very, very successful, then the lodestar might be adjusted up. So they could have a 2x factor. 
because the attorneys took a big risk on this case and they won big time and they helped their clients. And so the judge looks at the case and says, this was a tough case. These attorneys worked hard and they got a great result for their clients. So I'm going to increase the lodestar or the attorney, the judge can look at the case and say, these attorneys were a bunch of morons. You know, they've spent a lot of time on the case. It, um, and they lost. And even though the reasonable hourly rate is $500 an hour, it should be adjusted down because they just were, you know, clowns. And they take into factor if they spend a lot of time on unsuccessful claims. And so the case law says that when the plaintiff has obtained excellent results, the attorney should receive a fully compensatory fee. Here in the district court level, this is the original trial court, the court looked at the prevailing market rates for attorneys in, in Southern California and said that even though they were fairly young, these attorneys were about a year out of law school when they took this case on. So is that like 40? <laughs> um, yeah. Say that. We'll say yes. And so they were they were not real experienced attorneys, but they took this case. You know, it may have been hard for these eight individuals to find more experienced attorneys. And these two guys took this case on and it took a long time and they fought a lot of motions. Now, they claim that it was reasonable for them to name 31 individual defendants under the circumstances of the case. Remember, 17 were thrown out. So 17 police officers out of the case. So five individual officers were ended up found um, found liable. They sued 31. <clears throat> so when you're taking into consideration the success, a lot of the claims ended up not being successful, but some were successful. And so the question is how much success you know, merits an adjustment up or down on when you're thinking about the lodestar. So the court didn't adjust it up or down, just took the hourly rate times the number of hours, and it was upheld by the Court of Appeal. So the city appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court after they lost in the Ninth Circuit. They were also joined by the United States of America, took the side of the city of Riverside, did not take the side of the individuals mm -hmm. well 1986 who was president reagan that was a guess i don't know yes uh, okay oh. and Ron. <laughs> okay <laughs> well you know sometimes the chicanos they're you know well we gotta you know well if we gotta arrest them and tear gas them sometimes that's what you gotta do and uh well you know no. that's what you no. gotta do no no uh -huh. <laughs> That's uh, that's my Ronald Reagan impression. That was, that was pretty, pretty good. good. Oh, yeah. Jelly Bean. I if I know what Ronald Reagan sounds like. Yeah. Well, uh, well, like a I'm more sure breathy I'm... Nixon, apparently. Yeah. So the USA said we don't want to pay attorneys' fees. The argument, the essential argument by the United States and the city of Riverside was that the award needed to be proportionate to the damages. In this case, $33,500. And so the attorneys, based on their 2,000 hours of work over many years, should have gotten about $11,000 in attorney's fees. Because a 33% contingency fee award is typical market rate. So those billboard attorneys, when they say, if you're injured in an accident, you call attorney Steve Gorman, and attorney Steve Gorman takes in the case, says, I'm going to take a percentage of whatever you make. If I get you $10 million, I get three, you get whatever's left, seven. Maybe there's some costs in there, so you get five, whatever. But but the, the point being that it's a percentage of the total recovery as opposed to attorney's fees on top of fees. So that the district court shouldn't should not have awarded attorney's fees in addition to. After we do comedy court, I will tell you what the Supreme Court of the United States ruled. So we'll take a quick break after we'll go to comedy court. But I need to know now. Here's the story of coronavirus. When the government was clearly unprepared, all of us had heard the Social distance. Now we are all alone. 
to overcome our doom and gloom. We might die alone without some human contact. That's the reason we all meet by Skype and Zoom. But you're on mute, you're on mute. You can scream into the void because you're on mute. You're on mute. Live comedy the second Saturday of every month at the Pack Theater in Hollywood. back welcome to comedy court we have today the uh, city of riverside against rivera a case in the united states supreme court we have the um one justice representing the entire nine justices of the supreme court today judge tony senator yes. arguing on behalf of this city of riverside we have attorney Kristen drenning uh, also on the behalf of the united states of america yes also on behalf of the united states of america and for the rivera attorneys attorney uh, former small claims uh, uh, litigant and former juror, Kelly Johnson. Uh, also on behalf of the citizens of the United States of America and attorneys across the globe. Welcome to my court room. My courtroom. Welcome. Thank you so much, Your Honor. It's so great to be here. Might I just take a moment to salute your beautiful uh, stars and stripes behind you? It's such a refreshing thing to see those beautiful, you know, flags. Uh, okay. You know, Thank you, Counselor. Objection. Objection. <laughs> Flattery. You, you can't object. We haven't started. Misconduct. We haven't started the case yet. <laughs> just just exchanging niceties, all right? <laughs> ah. uh, so how do, how do we do this? Who wants to start? Well, uh, I'm, I'm perfectly happy, Your Honor, to do whatever you'd like because you are the absolute Objection. best. Objection. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Just, she's she's not bugging me now. I'll start. <laughs> make me eject you from this court. <laughs> Sorry. Your Honor, can I just say that you at one time were yeah. also an attorney. You were a lawyer. You know what our time is worth. I, I was and never an attorney ten, or a lawyer. Usually I thought judges were, but I don't know. <laughs> maybe I just, skipped that They just part. picked me because I was cool. Okay. But well... And that may as well be true. You seem pretty chill, but that's neither here nor there. Thank you. Thank you. The fact of the matter is that our our time is is worth money. And while this might seem like a robust sum, this has been a robust case. And Hankinson over here and I have been working our asses off to get these these young people, these young partygoers, these young Riversidians to get their due after being smoke bombed in the face at just a local, um, a local I think that's together. I think that's irrelevant. It's very relevant. Let's just start with the other council. But <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Judge. I would just like to say, let's start out with, with the, just the semantics here. Doesn't the word proportionate sound nice? We like proportionate, right? We like things to be even, tautologically mm -hmm. speaking. We're fans of that, right? And let, and let me can you spell that for me? Proportionate. I I don't think I could, Your Honor. If I, uh, I will say if this: it does contain portion. That, if whoever can spell it, I'll let them. Uh, uh, well, P -O -R -P -O -R I like to put No, P R O I O N A T. I was. I would just like to say, Your Honor, that I was in the fifth grade spelling bee, and oh. I did. Uh, not place, but I did do well enough to get a bag of M&Ms. Okay, <laughs> irrelevant. Okay, counsel, continue. All Sorry. right, so let's say this. Portion control, we consider that a good thing, right? We like things to be mm -hmm. kept in check. Also, what's a synonym for proportionate? Symmetrical. We love when things are balanced. On their face, face value, we like things to be even. So wait, I say- wait, this case has nothing to do with faces. Okay, fair enough, fair enough, Your Honor. All right, so let me move on from the semantics and we go now to what does it mean to be successful in a case? Well, I would say that success is probably defined by not having more than half of your claims thrown out at the at the lower level. I uh, would which, say. Uh, objection, I would say success is, is winning. Winning on less than half me? of I'm your claims. Judge. Yeah. Can I, I think Overruled. success is being a judge personally that is but, successful that is but, very successful okay and I, these are uh, these these students these are basically student lawyers that took on this case one year out of law school they were about Objection. as far one from year out of law school judges. very much so makes but, us not students uh, 
basically still Sustains. students. They are very far. Okay, thank you. They are very far from being winners. Let's just say that they were schmucks. That's the legal term for what they were when they took on this case. They don't deserve premium pricing uh, the way that they've been afforded. Because let me tell you something. They probably the going rate for their services uh, in reality yeah, what is was probably it? like fifteen what peanut shells uh, about that not, time. So according to the Lodestar. So, it's 150 peanuts. Council. Yeah. Council. And finally, let's this is the last one, Don't right? And this is my big one. Uh, public policy, right? Like, when we give a lot of money to a bunch of, of schmucks for suing uh, our great country and also these cities and our hardworking police, what we do is we incentivize other people to sue our great country, these cities, and the, our hardworking police. And I'll tell you something, we don't want that. Those people mm -hmm. are working so hard. Well, sure, every once in a while they're guilty of maybe a possible horrible human rights violation, but uh, sometimes Sorry. they aren't guilty of that. Why did one party minute. require 31 cops? <laughs> uh, I'm just saying it's civil, that, civil is that rights. Is that a good use of the police force, Riverside? That's point. what it's I want to know. I think you guys lost me for a second, though. Yeah. I just was mm. starting to think about the u.s and the flag and i just the got flag. completely lost but so beautiful um, let's move on let's move sure. on to sure. the to the plaintiff sure yeah thank you um, i appreciate uh the opposing counsel's use of definitions and the dictionary and the thesaurus and you know just kind of really laying things out for us but i just want to say to their last point about you know proportionate and symmetrical and balanced i mean that was I think my you first can see point the, the her first point the use of force used by the riverside police force was just that that's that's a misuse of funds on their part all we're does, doing here is trying require... to give these people the money funds yeah i'm pretty sure that the cops get paid uh, objection. Think... This is about the attorney's fees. <laughs> just I it just on. want to put it in perspective, though, just Notice. so you know that these these cops are probably taking home a pretty penny for what? And here we are providing a service to help out the public good. And we're not trying to give people, you know, try to tamper a good time. We're not trying to tell people at the party. We're just trying to get what we're due. Wait, over are the you 10 years of one of the case. original lawyers? Yes, I am the original lawyer. Oh, okay. So you're speaking for yourself, trying to get yourself more money. Representing myself. Representing yourself, yes. Sometimes Might I add, again, I lose pretty money. much... A schmuck, legally speaking. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, as a freelancer, you can understand what it's like trying to chase down invoices and just get paid. And it's been 10, it's been 10 years. It's insane. So it, it seems like a lot of money, but $200,000 over 10 years, like imagine that from a yearly salary standpoint, it, it makes sense. And to go without that for a decade, I mean, um, I rest my gaze. Okay. I think, I think I've heard enough. Um, and, you know, this is a really tough decision, but... Um, what I'm going to say, I don't know. You might not like it. Uh, but I have decided that the money should get paid to me. Yeah. So Riverside <laughs> will pay the $244,000, but it will come to the court. And um, that's my final decision. Thanks for being in my court today. Wow, a shocking ruling today in comedy court. We're here in the hallway with the litigants. Um, and you for the attorneys for Rivera, after a decade of hard work and earning a substantial award in favor of your clients, you've been essentially deprived of one cent. It's going straight from the city of Riverside to the pocket of Judge Senator. What do you have to say? Uh, I have to say that I hate this stupid town. And <laughs> <laughs> we just real quick, we've got to we've got to get a closing comment from the attorney at both for the United States of America and the city of Riverside, attorney Kristen Drenning. What do you have to say? How do you feel? Well, we're sorry to have lost and that we have to pay, but we do think that it's better to incentivize judges being awesome than it is to incentivize schmuck attorneys taking on these cases and suing 
people for uh, civil rights violations. So in the end, we're going to call it a wash. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been Comedy Court. Tune in next week when we hear from a pair of pants that decided to sue the attorney that wore them. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, the real real ruling (laughs) um, is a five to four decision. Um, Judge Brennan um, writes for the court that there is no statutory requirement in the Civil Rights Attorneys Fee Awards Act of 1976 that requires proportionality. Justice Brennan was joined by Thurgood Marshall, Harry Blackman, and John Paul Stevens, reasoning that the plaintiffs were vindicating important constitutional rights that can't be valued solely in monetary terms. And so a proportionality requirement would undermine what Congress's purpose was in enacting the law, because the purpose of enacting the law was to give litigants access to the courts, even if their claims were small, in order to vindicate important uh, important rights under the Constitution. And so this was part of the whole civil rights enforcement regime. Um, and so this um, the the overarching purpose was to encourage attorneys to take on these cases, even when their violations are small, to stand up for little people. Um, mm-hmm. Justice, uh, <laughs> Justice Powell um, also reasoned that there was no legislative history in the act. So legislative history is when they, uh, when the court is interpreting a statute, they look at the what the c- Congress said about it, what their interpretation was when they were enacting it or why why they did it. Um, and also looked at the prior decisions of the Supreme Court. Um, until recently, um, it was a practice that the Supreme Court would look at its own decisions in terms of making decisions. What we're going to do now is called stare decisis. That you know, if we made a decision once, we're not going to like revisit it and like make the opposite decision. But apparently, that doesn't apply anymore, and we're just going to do whatever we want. Um, but that's a different podcast. I recommend strict scrutiny if you're interested in that topic. It's a great uh, legal podcast. I listen to it and I highly recommend it for people who want to hear from real lawyers who know what they're talking about. What the about dissent- this podcast? Huh? This one is for, I'm not sure. Um, it's real lawyers who know what they're talking about. Certainly not for federalists as well. I mean, I mean no real lawyers. I don't know if I know what I'm talking about. I'm just talking. Um, so the conservative justices Warren Berger and Justice Rehnquist, um, who dissented, and um, Justice White and uh, Sandra Day O'Connor joined in a dissent. First, Berger, who is the chief justice, said, um, it's nonsense. He said it would be difficult to find a better example of legal nonsense. And attorney's fees for $245,456.25 for the recovery of $33,350 in damages. These two attorneys graduated from law school in 1973 and 1974. They brought this action in 1975. Their total professional experience when the litigation began consisted of Lopez's one-year service as a law clerk and Cazares's two years experience as a trial attorney in the public defenders program of San Diego County. No private party would ever have dreamed of paying these novices $125 per hour in 1975, which would represent nearly $250 per hour today. And when this public, when this very old law school textbook mm-hmm. was published, four hundred and twelve fifty an hour in two thousand one. <laughs> you ripped him a new one. <laughs> you guys suck. You shouldn't have gotten that. What a jerk, huh? This is Burger. I completely dead. agree. Concur. <laughs> <laughs> um, Justice Rehnquist also dead. Um, <laughs> Uh, sorry, but you know what? Um, he basically said that this amount, this amount was not reasonably expected that they were way over billing and that there was no reasonable relationship between the amount of fees billed and the value of the claim. And that it, there should be some relationship between those two things. It's not reasonable. So it should have been deemed excessive and they use an example um attorneys like the term right like to refer to black acre as a way of referring to a random piece of real estate so black acre is owned by a 
offers to sell Blackacre to B for $10,000. B consults an attorney who decides that title is defective and submits a bill for $25,000, spending 200 hours researching the title issue because of an extraordinarily complex legal and factual situation. And basically the client would have refused to pay the bill because a $25,000 bill for a $10,000 piece of property is obscene and ridiculous. Um, and also I would like to know who a is because I would like to bill to an thousand dollars. Um, so the point is that there's no relationship between the value of the claims and they, they go on at length about, there were something like, uh, 256 claims in the original complaint. Um, and so it was just way over the top and way over litigated and there should have been some reasonable relationship, but they were the losers. The conservatives were the losers in that case. And so they got, they didn't win. And, um, that was the, that was the outcome. So they, now they're dead (laughs) and they're not all dead. They awarded the full amount. They, so, so that was the dissent. So the dissent was basically saying it to be a reasonable relationship, but the the five to four, the majority, the liberal majority, held in favor of the attorneys that they should get the full amount because the amount of work that they put in was found to be reasonable by the trial court, and there's no requirement that there be a proportionality between right. the amount of fees and the value of the claims that it's in a constitutional right can't be valued in terms of money. Constitutional right can be valued only in terms of, you know, the, these values. And so when someone sues to enforce these values, they should be paid what they earn and what they put into it. There's also a subtext here that sometimes the defendants make it more expensive by the way they defend the case. So mm. um, with the, oh. the attorneys in Tony's case, you know, Maybe they filed a lot of motions. They made it really hard and had your attorney said, you know, this is a really important public issue, let's say, and had said, you know, this might be a loser case. We might end up on the hook to the city, but this is for protecting the public and let's pursue it. And let's say had eventually won. That would be an example of a difficult case with maybe not a lot of damages, but it was worth pursuing because there's some higher value. I mean, it's a personal injury case, so the analogy is not perfect. But the idea is that some things are worth more than money. And I know that's hard for lawyers to understand. It's even harder for judges to understand. But it's true. There are things that matter more than money. You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) And so and so the point is, when you're when you're suing to vindicate these important values, you should be paid what you earned. And that's the case. Yes. Let's close out real quick with some uh, shameless self-promotion. Um, we'll start with Tony this time. Um, where can people find you on the internet and socials? And what would you like to promote? Um, on Instagram, it's Tony Senator. On Facebook, it's Tony Senator. My website is Tony Senator. So you can mm-hmm. just look up my name and you'll find me. <laughs> and that's T-O-N-I. Yes, T-O-N-I-S-E-N-A-T-O-R-E. Because this um, is an audio medium. We'll also drop the link in the show notes if I write them. But yes. <laughs> um, Thank you. And what would you like what, to promote? What to promote? Because I don't know when this is going to air, but we do have our You're on Mute shows every first Saturday um, at 10 p.m. at the Broadwater. And I'd love for everyone to come, come out and see us. Billy will be in it. Again. Oh, I've been reinstated. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah, we need a Scottish accent. Um, it'll be it'll be late by one week, but then after that, we're the first we're the first Saturday night of the month, and I'll be getting back into the swing of things soon. Yeah. So, um, may jump. I'm going to jump on the stage. I think for the uh, improv part because I have not attended any rehearsals. That would be awesome. Yeah, it'll be that fun. would be awesome. <laughs> All right, Kelly. Where can people find you, and what would you like to promote? Um, you know, all the usual Instagram, Twitter, TikTok at Kelly Shea, K-E-L-L-I-S-H-E-A. Um, and you can probably find me trying to pawn off my dirty book club books to the local free little <laughs> libraries. <laughs> awesome. And Kristen, where can people find you and what would you like to promote? 
it's at Instagram. It's uh, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-D-R-E-N-N-I-N-G. That's at Kristen Drennick. That's my name. Uh, and if you're in Austin uh, this summer, I'm so sorry because it's horrible here during the summers. But uh, every Friday, my team Rendezvous uh, does a close quarters at Cold Town Theater uh, at 730. So and if you're first time listening to the episode or you don't know, or if you've never listened this long in close quarters, improv is what? Uh, it's a format uh, in which we are in one location, but like it's a bigger location, like an airport. So there's different sub locations within it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I always get confused with close up magic, you know, because that's uh, something there, that's prestidigitation. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's Can a dollar. In this that? Oh. <laughs> prestidigitation <laughs> is a D&D thing, too. What's that? What's, what's it called? Prestidigitation, prestidigitation is, a, is a D&D thing you can do. Oh, like a like a like a yeah like a magic trick your character can do. oh that's so cool <laughs> that's so cool if you are interested in D D, by the way listen to my friend sean mccallan's podcast ones upon a die it's apparently uh great name ongoing D <laughs> podcast with like recurring characters and stuff i haven't listened to it um but but I, like I haven't listened to it. Sean's occasionally drops in the the year on and uh, i don't think he listens to the show either but um yeah <laughs> He's been on a <laughs> I'm Billy DeClerc at Comedy Lawyer on every social media platform, and I almost never post. So uh, <laughs> there's that. That's our show. Let's say bye. Yay, Thank bye. You. Thank bye. you. Bye.